Today on Let's Talk Love, I'm talking to Amy Chan, all about healing from heartbreak. Amy is the founder of Renew Breakup Bootcamp, a retreat that takes a scientific and spiritual approach to heal the heart. I just finished reading Amy's best-selling book, Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart, which is full of wisdom, tools, and guidance for breakup recovery. We talk about the heartbreak healing process, the different stages of separation, how to expand your emotional range, and also how to stop repeating unhealthy relationship dynamics. Amy is insightful, funny, and full of actionable ways we can navigate life through and after heartbreak. Enjoy. Welcome to the Let's Talk Love podcast, where we flip the script on outdated narratives and cliches about love and relationships. I'm your host, Robin Ducharme, founder of Real Love Ready. This podcast is for anyone who wants to be better at love, regardless of relationship status. We'll talk about the intimate connections in our lives and the challenges and complexities inherent in those partnerships. Through our no-holds-barred interviews with global experts, we'll gain insight about ourselves and learn new skills to improve our relationships. Because when we learn to love better, we make the world a better place. Are you ready for open and honest conversations about love? Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Let's Talk Love. I'm so happy to have our guest today, Amy Chan. Hi, Amy. Hi, how's it going? (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to dive in and talk to you about your book and about and talk to you about your boot camp, Renew Boot Camp. Um, there's just so much work, beautiful work you're doing to help people with their heartbreak, breakups and heartbreak. I mean, we've all experienced this. But before we do that, I always ask my guests this question. What in your life right now is giving you the most joy? And what is one of the challenges that you're facing in your life right now? Oh, great question. Um, what's giving me the most joy is, so I moved back to my hometown of Vancouver during the pandemic after living in New York for eight years. And I've really invested in building community here. So um, I went on friend dates to meet new female friends who are like-minded in similar stages of their career. I've invested in my old friends who have different paths. They have like a lot of children, they're married. Um, But I've been doing these gatherings and I actually just had a career shower where I- Yes, I saw that. I love that. Because there's always showers for like births and, and weddings. I was like, well, how about- how about the people who are getting promoted, who yes. bought their own home, who started their own company? How about them? So I did a career shower and it was just such a rewarding, fulfilling, heart connecting time. And it's something I'll be doing more. So that sort of stuff is bringing me a lot of joy. Wow. Yeah. Um, the, the other side, which is more challenging, I would say like, I don't really talk about this, but I'll, I'll, I'll just share with you, Robin. Um, I, I, I've been in a relationship for three years and we, yeah. we locked down together. We were only dating for six months and, um, we met wow, in six months and you were locked down. Wow. Yeah. And he's, born and raised in New York and we moved to my hometown of Vancouver and Mm. um, it's been so rewarding being in this partnership but there's also challenges and uh, I'm a relationship expert and sometimes I am really hard on myself because I feel like I should know all the answers and I'm usually the one people come to so Mm. it's a little hard for me to go to my friends and talk about it Um, so I would say that that's a challenge for me. Yes. You talk about that in, I believe it is. I mean, I, I loved your book, Amy. I want to say I love your, I loved your book and I learned so much from you. You know, I think when it comes down to what you said before, like your work is your work, right? But bottom line is relationships are challenging no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> like it is just inevitable, really though. Yeah. But coming and being able to open up and be vulnerable about that space, you know, that you are in and you're supposed to be this expert. Well, guess what? No matter what, it's going to be hard. So. <laughs> 
And you know what? I just love that, the career shower idea. That is a beautiful, like, just such a great thing to do. We got to like, celebrate um, a lot of milestones in each other's lives. Not, of course, not just babies and weddings. Perfect. Yeah. 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 So I want to ask you about your Renew Bootcamp. So you started, um, you started the world's first breakup bootcamp called Renew. In 2016, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so can you tell us about that? Like, what is the Renew Bootcamp? You talk about this in your book, um, but really, what is it? And and why did you start Renew? Yeah. So when I was living in Vancouver, uh, this was about 10 years ago, I was in a relationship and I was on the path of happily forever after. And to me, back then, it meant uh, date an entrepreneur, uh, move in, get married, have kids. And I would work on the side for fun. And I was on track for that life. And that relationship fell apart, uh, very suddenly, um, really traumatically. And I just spiraled. Um, and it was just like the darkest time of my life. I had suicidal thoughts. I, I fell into depression and I tried to do things like go to yoga retreats, but I found like it was just procrastinating my pain. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it took me about two and a half years to actually fully move through and process everything and get to a place where I'd really just accepted and let go. And I just thought like, well, what happens to those people who don't have friends that are going to lend them their couch to stay mm-hmm. and who don't have the, I, even an idea of where to start or what books to read or anything like that. What happens to them? Because I know for me, I was just a few bad decisions away from doing something completely destructive. And I was like, I need to do this. I need to create something where people can get away. It's beautiful. They're taken care of. It's luxurious, but they're also getting the specific type they need to deal with the grief of heartbreak because it is very specific. And so that's where the idea of breakup boot camp came and what it is now. It's a four day retreat. It's always in nature. Um, there's an onsite chef and team that's making sure you eat well. And Mm -hmm. there's a team of 10 different experts from psychologists, behavioral scientists, anxiety coaches, sex therapists who are there to teach you specifically on how to grieve and process in a healthy way. But not only that, it, it's never just about the X there's recycled pain. And so we really dive into what are the patterns and subconscious beliefs that have been kicking around way before this person? And how do we shift those patterns so that you don't just recreate the same emotional experience over and over again? Wow. I love that. Like that you're, you're giving people the four day experience. Yes. You're being pampered and taken care of. Um, and having you, having them led through this healing in four days. And that's why it's a boot camp, right? I mean, a lot of people don't have that opportunity, but the people that do, I imagine that is just like, what an experience to go through. I, yeah. I, so I've got a, a lot of quotes that I've quoted. Amy, we've shared so many quotes of yours on our on Instagram. <laughs> and I've got a lot of more quotes in this, in this podcast because they're just, it, it's so good. So one of the things you say is that the pain doesn't go away. It transforms. So you like, we're not trying to just like, it's not about like being pain free, right? It's about changing and working with your pain. I'm not here to take away your pain. I provide tools to help you love through the pain. You want to love through the pain. I was like, oh, that's good. Your pain is a catalyst for change. You're not broken. You're bruised. Yeah. (laughs) I love that idea about facing your pain and using it for as a catalyst for change. So can you talk about that when you're... You know, that's one of the things that you, when you, in your book, kind of break it down and say like, okay, when, when we're sitting, when people, women, it was predominantly women that show up for these retreats, right, Amy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're like, okay, we're all in, you're all in a lot of pain right now. So how is it that you're helping these people to use their pain as a catalyst for change? Yeah, I think it's a process. And I think it starts Mm -hmm. with shifting your relationship with these feelings that mm-hmm. many of us will judge as good or bad. So when we're sad or we're mad, it's very easy to be like, oh, that's bad. That's negative. But it's just being human and our emotions exist for a reason. They are telling you something. And sometimes it's telling you something 
it's replaying something historical, but regardless, if we can just stop trying to run away from the emotions, distract them, judge them, and just sit with them, be curious with them, not mm-hmm. slam or shame yourself as good or bad, weak or strong. Just be like, oh, this is very human. I'm just expanding my emotional range. And it, it really shifts the energy of this thing you're trying to escape. Versus, okay, what can I extract here? How can I sit with it? And you basically do learn going through something so hard. Um, you learn so much about yourself. You learn so much more about how resilient you really are. And through that pain, there's something there that's helping you grow and evolve. When I went through my darkest time, of course, I didn't think, oh, yeah, one day I'm going to use this. I'm going to be uh, the founder of a breakup boot camp. I'm going to dedicate my whole life to that. I didn't think that at all. I'm like, I'm going to die. Yes. Um, but, you know, now I have just such a different relationship with pain. So even now when I go through hard things or I lose something or life takes a pivot, I don't I don't get destroyed anymore. I, I know that, oh, I can learn something here. I can grow. I have enough evidence that one door closes and eventually another one opens. I might not know what that is, but I'm okay with the uncertainty. And that is a skill. You grow yes. that muscle. It is a skill. It's, um, you know, we're going to get into this, but you, that's, that's one of the skills that you teach in your retreats as well as your book is reframing. Yeah. And that is a really important skill. So one thing you did allude to um, just a little while ago was with your breakup, your, your breakup that, you know, was very traumatizing and sudden and all these things is that it's the plan, right? Um, I love the story you tell about, you know, your, when this one group that you led in retreat, that you were all sit in a circle and you realized, you noticed that they all had one thing in common. And that was in their heads, they all embraced a linear relationship model, which is so incredibly, I mean, come on. There's, I was like that with my, you know, with, with my first marriage, I'm I'm remarried now, but I mean, when I was 29 years old, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I have that model in my head. And a lot of girls, women, females, people in general, like doesn't matter what gender doesn't, I think we have this idea that our plan in life. Okay. I'm going to get, I'm going to meet this person, fall in love, get married, have children, work on our career. It's just like this linear path, right? And if it's, and if your path is broken, that's, that's an, it's unsuccess that, sorry, your plan is success, right? Yeah. So what, what do you, what do you say about that, Amy? Right. I think this is just too common is that we all have this plan. You're attached to it. We're almost indoctrinated into this plan through the stories, the media, the fairy tales. And look, I think things are different now, but we still have the same version of the same story, right? Whether it's Cinderella uh, waiting for their prince, whether it's uh, Carrie Bradshaw waiting for Mr. Big to come around, whether it's um, Bridgerton <laughs> convincing the guy, like there's just, it's just packaged up in different ways. And there yes. is a story, whether it is the celebrations we have for women, which are bridal showers and baby showers, right? It's yes. this constant in different areas coming at you that um, to be a woman, to be a successful woman is to follow these timelines that by this age, you have this and then this and then this. And if you don't have it, then there's something wrong with you. Um, and it's just simply not that, <laughs> you no. know, and I think that... I would say one of the biggest lessons I learned from that breakup was I, I was all about the plan, all about control. And I've now embraced that you have no idea what's going to happen, even if you plan it out. And, (laughs) and like, all you can do is build resilience and know that you have the tools to get back up and that you're not going to stay down there in this crazy intense pain. Like it will eventually get better. You can do things to help you yourself. Um, and they're not permanent states of misery. Um, and it's just part of life is like, it's full of pivots and you are the author of this story. You know, I, I make this mm. comment when I'm at the retreat. I ask, I ask the women, I say, 
if you had a choice, say you were able to choose the life you wanted, you know, you could choose, I want this life or this life before you came into earth. And the life A was, okay, every day you're going to wake up, you're going to eat the same thing. You're going to work nine to five to five job. You're going to go Hawaii once a year for every single day till, till you die. You will have no pain. You will have no conflict. That's just going to be your life. Or would you choose option B? You, um, you know, had some hardships, you overcame them, you became an overachiever at school, and then you started this company, and then you got her, and you wrote a book, and then you came to break up boot camp, and then you learned from a dominatrix, and then you dated someone just <laughs> for fun. Like, which story would you choose? And they're like, oh, yeah, well, obviously, I choose B, right? We wouldn't yeah. choose the boring story where nothing happens and we're never heard. What type of life would that be? And so I really, like, encourage people, you're just an author. Each one of these things, they're chapters, if something blew up in your face, not according to plan, all right, you'll learn from that. You'll start another chapter. Yes. Letting go of the plan, I think, is just so important for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> because like, yeah. So I, I read this quote. I love this. It's about strength. Strength is the practice of opening your heart even when it hurts, especially when it hurts. Yeah. I think we, we, we can, we can shy away from wanting to experience that pain is to confront the pain with compassion and curiosity, even when it feels much easier to avoid, distract or suppress. Yeah. Strength is to allow the feelings to expand your emotional range. Yeah. So how is it that we can, like, what does it mean to expand your emotional range? Because yeah. I, I, obviously people in heartbreak are in like this, it is so incredibly painful, like viscerally. Yeah. Like you yeah. feel it in your body, you feel it in your heart. That's for sure. Your mind's doing all these crazy thinking, like all this crazy thinking in circles and making up a lot of stuff and focusing on a lot of the pain. What do you teach about expanding your emotional range? Yeah. I used to really hate that I was very sensitive. Um, and I was told by people that I was too emotional or too intense and too much. Men told me that. Um, mm -hmm. and if you think about the greatest singers, Celine Dion, Adele, they are incredible at their craft because they have such a wide range. And I think the same thing is to be human is when we're feeling the depths of despair and grief, when we feel the highs of joy and love and excitement, it's expanding your emotional range. It allows mm -hmm. you to feel more. Yes. Um, but if you just restrict yourself to only these set of emotions, which you deem is okay or acceptable, you also hinder your ability to feel the other side of the emotions. Mm -hmm. And so to be human is to feel. And now I'm like, what an honor that I get to feel that because the very fact that I have a lot of emotion, that I'm sensitive, that I'm intense is my gift. It's not something to be ashamed of. Mm -hmm. And like, even sometimes when my, my boyfriend will go like, Oh, don't cry. I'm like, no, no, no. You, you yes. should be honored to be witnessing these tears. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is amazing. <laughs> I think that's a common thing for a man to say to a woman, like, oh, like, I don't want to see you cry. Like, I don't, like, let's stop, like, you know, it, and it's almost like, I don't want to, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to um, make you feel a certain way. It's like, right. well, I am hurting right now. It's okay, but I'll get through it. But it's just like, you can't prevent me from getting hurt. Something yeah. like, you know what I'm saying? Protecting us yeah. in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's kind of similar to the guys that who said to me like, oh, like you're too sensitive. You're too emotional. It, that wasn't my problem. That yeah. was, <laughs> oh, you actually are uncomfortable witnessing and being in the presence of these emotions. And yeah. so instead of acknowledging that or even being aware of it, you've turned it around and made it something that was defective in me. Absolutely not. That's garbage. <laughs> yes, it is garbage. So heartbreak is very similar. Like when you're going through heartbreak, it's like you're, you teach that it's like, it is really like grieving a love. You are grieving a loved one. You're grieving a yeah. relationship. You're grieving uh, what you had with that person. And it's so, it is grieving. So it's like losing somebody that's passed away in your life that yeah. you loved very much. Right. And so there's different stages. And so the process is like helping people understand that, you know what? 
you need to go through all these stages. It's like, you know, I learned like, you know, my, my twin passed away. My dad passed away very oh. soon after. And it's like, I did go through the stages of grief and yeah. I didn't skip any. I went straight. Yeah. I hit it head, head on. But what I did learn about grief is like, if you are, if you're going to try to bypass any of those stages, it's going to come and get you no matter what. Yeah. It could be years down the road. And like all of yeah. a sudden you, you're like, you didn't grieve. Okay. Well, now's your time. Right. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's, that's how some people get stuck in yeah. heartbreak because they're not going through the stages. Right. There's so, no release. Um, and processing versus, and instead it is like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. I'm going to shove it down. I'm going to distract myself. I'm going to reach for this vice to not feel it. I'm going to numb it out. But like you yes. said, it, it just catches up to you and it usually yeah. catches up and it blows up like a volcano at some point. Um, and so, yeah. And, and like with, with heartbreak, you're grieving many things. You are yes. grieving the relationship. You're grieving probably your best friend. You're grieving the future you will now not have. You are grieving a part of your own identity. Um, and sometimes too, your ego is grieving of like, oh, some, maybe they're going to be with someone else or maybe there was infidelity. So there's that grief as well. It's so much grief stacked on top of one another. Of course, it's going to be overwhelming, but that is part of the stages. It's part of the shock stage and you eventually do move through them and it's not linear. You might jump back or, and forth between different yes. ones or feel multiple ones at the same time. But yeah, it's so important to to allow yourself to go through it um, and not shame yourself for feeling those feelings. So the different stages that people will go through, can you go through those, Amy? Yeah. There's So there's shock, which is really yeah. your body's way of protecting itself because it helps you not get so overwhelmed too quickly by the new reality. You then go into denial, which is like, oh, I maybe it's going to be okay if I just did this, or maybe, you know, it's going to be fine. And you kind of like, don't want to accept the reality once it's sinking in. And then eventually you accept the reality, like, oh my gosh, this is done. Um, and that's when typically you go into depression, but it's situational depression. So it's because of the situation, not because you have depression. Mm -hmm. um, after depression is anger. Anger is actually a very helpful stage. So it shows that energy is moving and it really launches you out of depression and into action. Mm -hmm. So typically anger makes you realize there's been an injustice or there's been a wrong that needs to be righted. Maybe there was a boundary that was crossed. Um, and this propels someone to be like, okay, well, what am I going to do about this? Am I, I'm going to go back to the gym now. I'm going to go do something. I'm going to feel better. I'm going to stop just crying in fetal position. Mm. After anger is a stage called bargaining, which is very similar to denial. Um, and that's when, again, we're like, well, maybe it wasn't so bad. The, the missing comes back and the withdrawal comes back that you can really easily rationalize like, oh, okay, it's okay. I'll, I'll just get back together. Um, and sometimes people are stuck in bargaining for a while. They get back together yes. um, until they do it enough times and they're like, oh, the same thing is going to keep happening, which then launches them into what I call um, accountability. So accountability is when you start instead looking at, oh, how am I a major player in this? What can I do? What did I do? What can I do differently? The conversation starts to shift from they, them, psychoanalyzing them to yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you get into acceptance where you're like the, you fully accept that the relationship is over. It doesn't mean that you don't have residual feelings. It doesn't mean that you're not going to miss a person, but you are not in denial anymore. You're in reality. You know that it's done and you're prepared to take the steps to move forward. Yes. So you you talk about, and you know, um, I, it's funny because just a few weeks ago, I interviewed Guy Winch, who is Ooh, also yeah. an expert in heartbreak. I mean, he his a lot of his work is centered around heartbreak. Yeah. And he talks about, um, yes, there's the physical that's going on in your body. And there's so much, and you talk about this in your book, is the physiological, mm -hmm. um, what your brain is going through is so painful, like in your yeah. brain, right? Mm -hmm. And how your brain is is going through withdrawal. 
Yeah. You're used to being, and, and there's like this dopamine, like, so you go into the side, there is so much science around this, right? Yeah. So can you, can you talk about that, about how physiologically you're, you're, you're going through it in a heartbreak? Yeah. So Dr. Helen Fisher did a really interesting study on uh, the brains of people who are newly separated and they actually scanned yes. their brains. And what they found was the same part of the brain was activated as a drug user feeding for a fix. So the summary was that, wow, like after a separation, your brain is like, look, looks like a, like a drug addict. Yes. And so you're, you're in withdrawal, you're feeling these withdrawal symptoms. And another thing is, when you are in the relationship, you're used to getting these feel good chemicals, dopamine, oxytocin, these bonding chemicals. And so after a separation, even though logically, you know, it's over, your body is like, what the hell's going on here? Like they didn't get the memo. And so <laughs> it's going to cause you to take action to go and get it. So that's why you might have this urge to check their Instagram stories or to text them, or to reread old text messages, or even psychoanalyzing in your brain. It's still giving you some access to them. Mm -hmm. And so understanding what's going on in your body and in your brain and in your nervous system is helpful because if you're not aware that these things are going on, you're going to think that you're crazy, but you're not crazy. Your body's going through this process it, it needs to reach a new equilibrium and it's going to take some time, but that intensity will eventually start to, it'll hit its peak and then it'll start to minimize. Yes. So something you talk about, I love this. You say that it's about shame, right? Mm. And you say shame can be toxic, painful, and even deadly. Among the women who come to renew, shame is a central theme of their suffering. Mm -hmm. So, um, what I, and I can relate, I, I, I think a lot of us can relate to this, right? It's like, you feel shame. Like, let's just say you're married and you've got children and it's like, I never planned for this, to, like to get divorced in my life. Are you kidding me? Like that was never yeah. part of my plan. And it's like so incredibly devastating. And I'm mm -hmm. so full of shame around that, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that'd be one example. But what are some of the reasons the women are, women are feeling shame? What other ways is that showing? How is that showing up? I think a common way it's showing up is this belief that there's something wrong with them. Mm -hmm. So because it didn't work out, because their partner cheated, the story becomes very personalized of like, oh, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not sexy enough. I'm not this enough. And that's where a lot of the shame comes from. Um, it's this, this fundamental feeling that I am flawed and I am broken and there's something wrong with me. Um, the second part of it is I think people who will come to break up bootcamp, it's self-select. So it's typically a very high achieving group and high achievers are very used to being able to fix problems. You want to hit a goal, you do ABC and you get the goal. And with heartbreak, it's just not like that. You can do A, B, and C, and you'll still be reeling from the pain. And so there's this almost um, impatience and self-blame and shame around not being able to just bounce back and getting back into it. And, you know, they there's this lack of gentleness and compassion that they have with themselves, and that is, and that is what you, you say, the antidote to shame is self-compassion and yeah. kindness towards oneself, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the other, and then the, so that is internal, like your shame, your shame is internalizing and like blaming yourself really. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas, and then there's blame, right? A lot of, and then there's, <laughs> there's yeah. this other, you know, state of, of um, thinking is like, okay, when you blame, this is another quote of yours, when you blame you're shackled to the person who hurt you, giving that person the keys to your emotional freedom. This was, this was like, I thought about this. I'm like, that is so true. Because if you're blaming somebody, you are literally still attached to that person. You are like, it's like, yeah. and blame keeps your recovery dependent on the actions of another person. Yeah. Something that you ultimately cannot control. The powerlessness keeps you in a state of suffering. So there's the shame that people can be in, the blame, and then you want to move into reframing. 
Yeah. I, I say this often, like if you are still blaming your ex, psychoanalyzing your ex, hoping for your ex to change, hoping they're going to come back and just give you closure, you're still in a relationship with your ex. You're just in a relationship with someone who's not in a relationship with you. Yes. And blaming is very interesting because uh, it's like hot potato with your emotions. It's like you feel this thing and you don't want to feel it. So you throw it at them. And it's like, mm. it's your fault. You did this. And it might even feel temporarily relieving, but it ultimately, it just keeps you hooked on this relationship, right? It's the last part of the relationship you've got left. And so you might vilify your ex and blame them for being a narcissist or a psychopath or whatever it is. And now I don't mean to say like there's some situations where there's abuse and someone's done something totally terrible. And it's not that they shouldn't take accountability and that somehow they're, they're right. I'm not talking about that. No. But I am talking about this holding on to this emotional charge about what this person did or did not do. And there's a point where it just is not serving you and it's keeping you stuck in the past. And so I think with reframing, part of what we teach is is looking at the current relationship narrative that you currently have. And I have the people come do this. They have to write out the relationship narrative, just like they were, they were telling a friend for the first time. And Mm. then I teach them about cognitive distortions, these thinking traps that we're privy to their judgment errors that cause us, cause us to amplify pain, depression, sadness, anxiety. And, uh, a few, for example, is all or nothing thinking. Um, you say they all, they always do this. This never happens to me. Um, it's actually just not true. It's not factual. Mm-hmm. Generalizations, personalization, being caught up in shoulds, having these arbitrary rules that people should be following or even yourself. And when they're broken, you feel like there's this big injustice and that they owe you something. All of these are thinking traps. So the second part of the exercise is once they learn these, they have to circle all of the thinking traps that are in their story. And there's usually a few go-to ones that they they tend to do. Um, and then they have to rewrite their story without the thinking traps, with just the facts. And what they find is the story ends up being a lot less emotionally charged and you're actually dealing with reality. And then we have a starting point to start healing because if you're constantly not grounded in reality, it is very hard to heal. Absolutely. You tell that story. Um, you tell a story about your, your own breakup, your, your breakup from your partner and how you were, you were with another friend and you were saying all these things about your ex, right? And he, and your friends turn, turns to you and says like, okay, Amy, is this story serving you? And you're like, uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> it's really not helping me, right? It's not helping me anymore. And yeah. then that was when you went home and you wrote on pink stationery this letter to <laughs> yes. your ex. Right. And how, and how it was really reframing because it was like, it was like this light switch on like looking at, oh, actually your friend was like, okay, well tell me what are the really good things that you had in that relationship? What were good things about that he brought the the gifts and and the good things, the good times you had and the good things that you did together and all of the positives because every relationship, most relationships have of course both. We could be so stuck in the pain and the negativity around it, that all you can see is, is the bad things about that person. But yeah, there's so much more, right? Yeah. And that's another cognitive distortion. It's called negativity bias, where yes. we just folk zero in, we have a narrative of they're a villain, and we will find all the data to to support that narrative that we don't see anything else. Um, and that can actually really cause a lot more suffering. Yes. So you, somebody reads your book and they're going through the different stages and let's say, okay, they're in the acceptance stage. They're, they're now like feeling like, okay, I've really done the work here. I'm feeling better about, I've done my reframing. I sure as heck don't want to make the same mistakes in the same, the next relationship that I, that I, I don't want this to be a repeat with a different person. Right. right? So that, those are the, those are the skills that you're also teaching is, you say sometimes a breakup is the shakeup you need to redirect your life and to, and in order to design your next relationship in a, in a different way. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this, this was something that I was, that I really um, resonated with was, or just this idea that we show up um, different ways in our relationships. So I think there was like seven different ways that some, the people can show up in relationships. Right. 
can can we go through those, Annie? Like a few of them. Yeah. We have to go through all of them. But I think that this was like, oh, I could totally see this. It's like, okay, I'm I'm this and I'm this. And yeah. I could see somebody, it's like one of my friends, oh, I can she she shows up like this. Or, you know, I just think that, that we we show up in different roles. For and, sure. And what the core of that means for us. Yeah. I mean, one I see a lot is the overgiver. And yes. um I would say 85% of the people who come to break up bootcamp are overgivers. And, uh, there's a lot of resentment. Now, if mm. you pull back the layers of that, the root of why people overgive is generally, um, they learn at a very young age, some, be- a belief, I'm not worthy. And so to be worthy, they have to overcompensate and they overgive. Usually it's not just in romantic relationships. They're usually the one taking on more stuff at work. Um, they're overgiving with their friends and there's this constant feeling of resentment. So there's two things happening there. There's an old belief, a subconscious belief that's causing them to behave in certain ways. And at, as a child, that might have been what they needed to do to survive. They didn't have other tools. But as an adult, if you look at the results and you're like, oh, wait, this is causing me a lot of dysfunction in my relationships, then it's time to be like, okay, we need to learn a different coping mechanism because that's maladaptive. And the second thing is we are also, we can be addicted to emotions. And so I know for myself, um, I used to be an overgiver and the emotion I used to be addicted to is resentment. And so I have to, even to this day, look when I'm feeling this, oh, like I'm imbalanced. My natural tendency, because I've done it for so long, is just to put my foot on the gas pedal and give more. And I have Mm. to stop myself and be like, wait, let it balance out, express your needs, communicate, receive someone who's trying to give to you. Um, And also ask myself like, Oh, is the root of this giving, is it actually coming from a place of abundance and generosity or is it coming from a place of fear, insecurity and scarcity or control? Because it could be a a present wrapped in the same wrapping, but the root energy changes the outcome. So you might think you're giving, but you're actually taking because the root of that is coming from scarcity. So, you know, like we can blame our partners and be like, oh, they were such a taker. But if it's happening across the span of your relationships, well, there's a pattern there. And until you start to work on that and start making small changes on a daily basis, um, you will just attract a similar partner who will wound you in a similar way because your psyche is trying to change its ending. Yes. Wow. So the, another, another one would be um, the pleaser. Right. Yeah. So you bend over backwards to, for your relationship, for other people, um, you've, you've, you've adapted to becoming a doormat right? and underneath all of that, and you prioritize others before yourself. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, and the root of that would be like, I'm not worthy of love. Yeah. So the root of that also could have been a childhood where it was not safe to voice your needs. So maybe your caregiver, um, just didn't take your needs seriously (laughs) and, uh, or shamed you for expressing what you wanted. So it, it was not safe for you to express yourself and you adapted to that, um, to be over accommodating and to edit yourself and never rock the boat. Um, and so, yeah, that's like another, another thing that shows up. So you become this people pleasing person. And then it's not, sometimes it's like not that your partner is this evil person who's trying to take advantage of you, no. but you're also setting a precedent in the relationship. So they get so used to you taking care of everything and they can sit back. They're like, okay, I'll just, do, I'll just do this. Yes. So it's how, so it's changing these, um, it's changing this pattern and the way you show up. Like, it's just really, it's so, it's so much about learning about yourself and how yeah. you are in relationship. So, so that it is much more balanced and it's coming from this place of, um, self-love, self-assuredness, confidence, your inner strength. So how does somebody even identify where you're show, how you're showing up in relationship, Amy? Like this is all. So- 
Yeah. Yeah. I think the, one of the exercises we do is we look at what, what is like the belief that's kicking around. And a lot of times it's not even conscious. So, mm-hmm. uh, this exercise is in the book. It's also what I do at the bootcamp. I read out a bunch of the different beliefs. Um, I have everyone close their eyes and there's usually one that kind of stands out. They'll f- kind of physically feel it and we'll work on that. And then there's a process of shifting that belief, almost like you're climbing a ladder one rung at a time. You don't go mm-hmm. from, I'm not worthy of love to like, everybody loves me. And you know, <laughs> despite no. the Instagram codes that tell you just repeat affirmations like that, your brain will actually, it, it can actually do more harm. Your brain will inherently reject what it doesn't believe is true. So if your belief is I'm not enough, the updated belief that's a little bit more true, a little bit more helpful could be um, there are some people that I trust who accept me for who I am. And you just want something a little bit more true, a little bit more helpful. You look for evidence of that being true. You try on that belief, um, like you're wearing a new colored scarf, seeing how you feel in it until that becomes your new baseline. And then you go, okay, now what's a rung up from this? And you just keep going until you reach your desired goal belief. Um, and it's, it's a process that works, right? But it happens slowly and gradually, uh, one, one rung at a time. There, I love the section in your book um, that talks about, okay, now you're ready to date again. So, but this, you know, you want to do this in a very, I, I just, you know, a clear way. Okay. Like mm-hmm. we, we, you know, you talk about like this idea about soulmates. Okay. Forget about the soulmate yes. shopping, right? Like Soulmate shopping is a surefire way to stay single, avoid yeah. true intimacy and eventually walk away from relationships the moment the sparks fade. Yes. <laughs> I, I love that, right? Um, and then you talk about chasing unicorns, which I think, oh my gosh, it's like this idea. And I think this is just so common, right? It's like you want to convince yourself that um, even if this person shows up and they're like the unicorn, but they're going to change. You know, you just stick mm-hmm. around and things will change. So mm. you, you, you have that really good story that you share, Amy, about chasing unicorns, right? It was, and you had a, it was a two year long distance relationship. Um, and you talk about unicorn confirmation bias and soulmate <laughs> idealizing. Um, yeah. And in the end, this person was, and he says to you, you just weren't relationship material. Oh my gosh, Amy. Like I could just, I, I think anybody could relate to this story. Like, can you just quickly go through that story? Because I think we could all learn from that. Yeah. So I met this guy at Burning Man. Um, <laughs> and I saw him and I just knew, but like, let's be honest here. I knew who he was before I met him because he was a big tech entrepreneur. And so, you know, I think I was still, I just still at that time wanted to be someone's plus one. I didn't have these things in my life. At that point, I was working a job I didn't really like. Um, you know, I, I was pretty broke living in New York and I meet this guy who's like a multimillionaire, who's an entrepreneur who everyone respects. And so, yeah, it was really easy for me to like soul bit, soulmate bells are ringing and we weren't even in a relationship. Like I was in a relationship with him in my head. He was in a relationship mm. with me and like, you know, for over two years, like we would see each other here and there sporadically, spontaneously, but they're all They were always peak experiences. Like, mm. you know, a Michelin star dinner, um, like some crazy fast adventure. So they're always these highs, but we never had reality together. So everyone else was bland compared mm. to him because this person was my unicorn. He was my Mr. Big. And I created in my head this idea of who he was, this idea of what our life would be. And, um, you know, it just wasn't based in reality. So yeah. And then eventually he ends up, you know, I always thought he wasn't ready to be in a relationship because he was going through a lot. And I was like, oh, okay. You're not ready to be in a relationship right now. All right. I'm just going to stick around and wait it out and prove through my loyalty to someone who wasn't even loyal to me, then you'll eventually pick me and hand me the rose. What the heck? No, it didn't happen. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but you were willing to stick it through because you said in your, like, right. I think this is just, you, you were convincing yourself that actually, you know, it's going to work out and, and you, and you're shocked when he's like, well, you're not, I didn't think you're relationship material. What? <laughs> right. So let's yeah. talk about reciprocation because I think this is such, when it comes down to it, it's such a simple, simple thing. 
to, to actually understand. But in the dating world, you, you really, and if you're with, let's just say you, or you're with somebody in a, in a relationship, like if there's, first of all, even just dating, let's just get down to the bones of it. There should be reciprocation, especially in the beginning, right? <laughs> or just throughout. But I yes. think this is something that um, a lot of, a lot of people will actually just not even consider. You're putting so much in and you're not getting what you, what you deserve or what you need back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this, okay, I wanted to quote one of your life coaches, Trish Burles. Yeah. This is, okay, I love this quote. She says, hope will fuck you. <laughs> have hope for humanity, have hope for world peace, but do not have hope for a person to change. You cannot <laughs> hope your relationship into existence, yeah, right? I know. So what are some signs of reciprocation that are important to have in, in a budding relationship? I mean, really? Like, let's just go through just some basics, like that you that you definitely need to have in a really in like the signs in, in a budding relationship, a reciprocation. Yeah. So there is um, an initiation to see you and make plans. Uh, that's not just a last minute thing. Uh, sometimes last minute, okay, but that's not the precedent. There's some cadence of communication. Now, people have different communication styles, but there is some sort of a consistency. It doesn't mean it has to be every single day, depending on where you're at in the relationship, but it's not, you know, they don't just disappear for two weeks. That's very odd behavior and it's not a good sign. Um, and I think this is something like you have to t be really honest with like kind of your internal balance, because if you tend to veer more as an overgiver or a people pleaser, what will happen is it might start off even you take one step, they take one step and then uh, maybe start liking them a lot. And then you take two steps, they just take one. Then you take three steps, they just take one. And then you're like, oh, well, I, I just double my steps to make up for their lack of steps, mm. hoping they're going to come around and realize how amazing I am because I made them banana bread, <laughs> whatever. Um, and that's where you have to really fight your, your kind of natural instinct to want to put your foot on the gas pedal and give more mm. and just give it space. I'm not saying cut the person off, right? It doesn't mean that they're evil or they're a fuck boy. Like it just means like there are power dynamics. And my boyfriend actually said this to me. He's like, cause I asked him, I'm like in the past he was single. And um, I think that he was in these casual relationships and I was like, well, what, why are you not doing the same thing with me? And he's like, well, if you think about power of say there's a hundred percent, if someone's already coming with 80%, you only leave me 20. And I was like, mm. Oh my gosh. Like that really resonated. I was like, it's really true. So if you're already like, okay, I'm going to like change, I'm going to make it really easy so that you could see me. I'll change my schedule. So it's on oh, yours. Yeah, I'll, no. I'll, you know, drive an hour to see you. I'll bring a gift. I'll make it all convenient. You're going in 80, 90%. They only have 10%. Yes. Yes. I really, I really like that. And, and that, and that feeling of being like, just, just even you explain, you saying it that way though, I myself, I'm like, Ugh. you know, like you just feel like, oh, that doesn't feel right. Does it feel good that they're just accommodating you 100%? Yeah. And you're just having, right? You just feel like, oh no, back off a bit, back up, give me some space. <laughs> It's the same yeah. thing with friends though, right? It, yes. These dynamics happen also in friendships. Yes. Yes. True. Okay. We, we're running out of time, but okay. One, I just want to make one more really quick point about which I loved is like, and I've heard this before and I've said it before and in that looking for a partner, you've got to treat it more like looking for a job. And I love this analogy. It's, you know, you, you, you say, okay, like, let's say you lose your job and okay, now you're on the job hunt. Okay. I'm looking for an awesome career and I'm not just going to jump into the first one. I need to like, take my time, check out the market and what's going on, you know, in prospective places I want to work at. Um, what career paths can I take? And you're not just going to like, if you, let's say you get a second stage, um, interview, you're not going to like let go of all the other uh, prospective jobs that you're looking at. And it's the same yeah. thing with dating. Yeah. I, put, I, I really, I really liked that. Like you can't, and you say, when you start off in scarcity mode, mm -hmm. you're going to be a lot more desperate and will likely take a bad deal and not negotiate your terms. 
<laughs> so true, right? If you yes. like, it's the same, like if you have zero savings, you're going to take the first thing that you can get. But mm. if you start to save up, and I think this translates in life, if you start to work on building your confidence, uh, doing things that are more self-nurturing and can build up your reserves of self-love, um, it's going to change what offers you'll even accept, right? Your standards start to change. When yes. you have options, your standards raise. <laughs> yes. Yes. So like, you know, and I don't mean like you have to get to this place of like, you're totally healed and you're in self-love Ireland. No, no that's also unrealistic. But there is, uh, you know, some foundation of, of feeling worthy. And so I really do recommend to people, if you keep having these relationships that are unhealthy and um, falling apart, then maybe your next thing you do, don't just do the same thing. Maybe you just take some time to like really work on the foundation. And, and then after you've built that up just even a bit, then see, because that's going to shift who you're drawn to and who's drawn to you. Yes, absolutely. Well, Amy, I, I can't believe the time has gone by so fast. I, I love talking to you and I like the work you're doing is, is amazing. Helping people, you, you know, work through their heartbreak and really at the end of the day, create, um, you know, it, you don't have to go into the next relationship. It's about building yourself back up. Um, and then, and then if, eventually if you do want to be back in a relationship, it's like doing it differently possibly yeah. and, and creating, creating something that's, that you'll be, you'll be strong and happy in. Yeah. So where can people continue to work and, and follow you and learn from you? Yeah. So renewbreakupbootcamp.com is my website. My book is Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart. And my Instagram is at Miss Amy Chan. Okay, wonderful. Well, I'm so excited to um, talk to you on our IG Live next. Yeah, and this is so fun. It was so fun. Amy, thank you. One of one of my favorite quotes that you um that you've said is this is this is really good. It's you don't want to fall in love. You want to stand in love. I love that. <laughs> so, so thank you, Amy, for, for being with us. And I look forward to um, our Instagram live and we're, and always, and just continuing working with you for sure. Awesome. And thank you, Amy. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Please visit realloveready.com to become a member of our community. Submit your relationship questions for our podcast experts at reallovereadypodcast at gmail.com. We read everything you send. Be sure to rate and review this podcast. Your feedback helps us get you the relationship advice and guidance you need. The Real Love Ready Podcast is recorded and edited by Maya Anstey. Transcriptions by otter.ai and edited by Maya Anstey. We at Real Love Ready acknowledge and express gratitude for the Coast Salish people the stewards of the land on which we work and play, and encourage everyone listening to take a moment to acknowledge and express gratitude for those that have stewarded and continue to steward the land that you live on as well.